Welcome to Awaken to Grace. I'm Chad Roberts. Today we come all the way to the end of the book of Mark. We are beginning chapter 16, and I hope you've been with me through each sermon of this collection of the study of the book of Mark called Walking with Jesus. Well, today Mark is going to prove the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to prove it through the empty tomb, through his angels. Angels announced the birth of Jesus, and angels are now going to announce his great resurrection. And Jesus is going to prove it through these eyewitnesses, these women who went to the tomb. And what we're going to learn today is these wonderful, courageous, these godly women who went to the tomb that day to anoint the body of Jesus. You know what? They had great affection for Jesus. And yes, they were Christ followers. But sadly, they didn't go to the tomb that day expecting a miracle. They didn't go expecting a resurrection. They went to the tomb that day And all they could see was the heavy stone that they didn't know who was going to roll it away. Well, what we are going to learn today is that many of us are just like these ladies. Yes, we love Jesus. Yes, we have great affection for him. Yes, we worship him. Yes, we follow him. But all we can see in our life are the stones that are the impossibilities. No, my friends, let's grow our faith together. We are in Mark chapter 16. I'm so glad you're with me today in this sermon called Jesus Resurrected out of Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. I hope you enjoy today's broadcast of Awakened to Grace. Go to Mark chapter 16 with me. We have been all year in the book of Mark. We began with the first Sunday of January in Mark chapter 1. And let me tell you what a joy, what a blessing it is to teach through the Bible verse by verse. Do you know why it's so much better? Why it's so much more healthy to teach consistently, expositionally through Scripture? It's because Scripture is written in such a logical sense. And nothing makes more sense out of Scripture than when you follow the natural order of it. And so we began in chapter 1, and now today we are in the first part of chapter 16. Next Sunday, April the 24th, what a big Sunday that is going to be. It is the grand finale of the book of Mark in our series called Walking with Jesus. Now, you know, there's probably a footnote in your Bible. Verses 9 through 20 was not in the original manuscripts. Now, why is that? Is it still the inspired Word of God? Is it still without error? Is it still infallible? I'm going to deal all with that next Sunday, and I want you to come back for that. My sermon next Sunday is going to be called, especially as we are marching toward the healing Sunday of May 1, the sermon next week, the grand finale of Mark, is called, These Signs Shall Follow Those Who Believe. And I cannot wait to preach God's Word tomorrow, uh, next Sunday. Today, however, we, all, we are only going to deal with verses 1 through 8. And here's what I want you to know about the construction of the book of Mark. The book of Mark... Mark ended his gospel here in verse 8. 
And it's like hitting a brick wall. It ends very abruptly. And scholars throughout the centuries have tried to figure out why would Mark have ended the gospel so abruptly? You read Matthew's gospel, Luke's gospel, John's gospel. There's so much post-resurrection detail. But when it comes to Mark, it's just like a brick wall. It just ends. Why do you suppose that is? Let's recap just for a moment a few things that we've learned throughout our journey of Mark. Now remember, who is the audience that Mark is writing to? While Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience, while the Gentile doctor Luke is writing to a Gentile audience, While John's gospel came much later after Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and then he is writing to a universal audience, to everyone, both Jew and Greek and Gentile, all of that. Mark's gospel has a specific audience, and it's the Romans. It's the Christians who are suffering under the Roman Empire. And at the time of this writing, the persecution of Rome is really beginning to ramp up. History tells us that Nero, the emperor of Nero, was such a madman that he would, he would torture and persecute Christians mercilessly, mercilessly. He would take his beautiful garden and he would hoist Christians on large poles and he would set them on fire just to light his garden. He was a wicked man, godless, and he violently ruthlessly persecuted the church. Imagine you look around this room today and how full it is. And imagine coming to church next Sunday and quite a number of chairs are empty. And then you come back the next Lord's Day and even more chairs are empty. And you come back The next Sunday, and even more chairs have been emptied. And it's not because of laziness. And it's not because of apathy. Do you know why? Because Nero is taking them. Because your neighbors, your co-workers, your fellow church members, those who you fellowship with, those who you are in small groups with, all of a sudden begin to disappear. The persecution was as real as it gets. And Mark is writing his gospel to people who are facing severe persecution. And so Mark begins in chapter 1, verse 1. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And while Matthew does a genealogy for the Jews, and while Luke is writing to a man named Theophilus, and and, and it's, it's masterful, his entry... And while John goes all the way back to eternity and says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. No, do you know what Mark does? Mark comes right out the gate. The beginning, the, it's where we get our English word, archaeology. The archaea, the archaeology, the beginning, the discoveries of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And from then on, it is lightning speed. Remember what we said? The word immediately, ethos in the Greek, used 45 times in the book of Mark alone. 
Almost every tenth word in the book of Mark is and, 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 and then, and immediately, and then, and immediately. And it's moving, and it's fast, and it's lightning speed. Do you know why? Because the book of Mark is a call to urgency. And what began in the beginning of the gospel of Jesus is now going to be tied down in the resurrection of Jesus. And when you come to verse 8, and the women are astonished, bewildered, amazed, frightened. And then it just tells. Why does it end like that? Because you know what Mark is saying? Mark is saying, Persecution is real, and what are you going to do about Jesus? What are you going to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? It is a call to action. It is a call to urgency. The women left the tomb. Now, what about you? Here's the archaeology. Here's the beginning. Here is the resurrection. Now, what will you do with your faith? Remember, we've talked throughout the book that all through the book, there's this tension of the disciples trying to figure out who Jesus is. Jesus would cast out demons all through chapters 1 through 10. And the demons would say, you are the son of God. And remember what the disciples kept saying? Who is this man? And then finally, the pivot of the book. Exactly in the middle of the book, chapter 8. Peter's great confession. And Peter says, thou art the Christ. Ah, okay, they're getting it. But see, we've known from the very beginning because Mark tells the reader, who is Jesus? Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And the book ends. Finished. Now, what will you do? What action will you take? Where is your faith going to go? Are you going to remain in complacency? Are you going to remain in apathy? Are you going to stick your head in the sand? Are you going to be a chameleon Christian? Are you going to be a fake Christian? Or is your faith going to be real? The book of Mark is a book of urgency. It is a book of action. Now go with me in verse number one and let's get the understanding of what's happening. The women are going to go to the tomb. Verse 1. And after the Sabbath, Mary Magdalene. Oh, I love Mary Magdalene. Magdalene was an area on the southeast area of Galilee, off the Sea of Galilee. She's referenced in Luke 8, 2, and also in Mark 16. She's actually mentioned more the most of the disciples in the Gospels. She's mentioned about 12 times. You know, Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. She followed forever the Lord Jesus Christ. She must have been at the upper room. She must have been part of the women when the Holy Spirit fell on the day of Pentecost. It was Mary Magdalene. It was Mary, the mother of James, the less. Why, why are there so many Marys in the Bible? Have you ever asked yourself that question? It can get real confusing with all the Marys, right? 
You know why there's so many Marys? Because Mary was such a common and popular name. It's, it's, it's short for Miriam, for Moses' sister. And so many, many Jewish mothers would name their daughters Mary. Very, very popular name. So there's Mary Magdalene. There's Mary, uh, the mother of James. And then Salome. Now, who is Salome? She was the mother of James and John. And these women, along with others, the other Gospels tells us there were other women. Joanna, Luke mentions. And they're going to go to the tomb. And they're going to take spices. They bought spices to take. And they're going to anoint the body of Jesus. They, the Bible says that in verse 2, on, uh, or early in the morning on the first day of the week. See, the, the Jews in that day, they didn't name their days as we do in our culture. They didn't have Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. They had the Sabbath. And what day was the Sabbath on? Saturday. So Sunday would have been the first day of the week. And they numbered them. They did not name them. They numbered them around the Sabbath. Because Jesus arose, then the church now gathers on the Lord's day, on the first day of the week. And that's how it's always been. That's how they began to gather in Acts. Remember in John when he was caught up in the Spirit on what day? The Lord's day. Sunday. Why do we gather on Sunday? It's not just a culture thing. No, it is a gospel thing. It's because it was the first day of the week. Friends, it is the Lord's day. And you should set it apart. You should always set it apart. Just as we are to take our finances and set apart That first, you ought to take the first day of your week and you should set it apart. You know, God began to deal with me a long time ago about setting things apart for him. And the Lord gave me this little strategy. The Lord said, Chad, if you will set apart the first day of the week for me, then you know what you'll find much easier to do in your life? To set apart the first of your income. But the Lord said, you know what's really going to make those disciplines happen? Is when you set apart the first part of your day. And so I began to get up much earlier than my family. And now what started out as a discipline is now the sweetest routine I have. And me... And Jesus and a big old cup of coffee. That's how we start our day. And see, when you begin to give Jesus the first, when you begin to give him what's right, not what's left over, what becomes, what starts as spiritual discipline, then becomes wonderful routines. So they went on the first day of the week as the sun was rising. Another gospel says it was dark. You know, I, I love what I love about especially those post-resurrection accounts. Some people look at it as discrepancies. For example, in a moment we're going to see John. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, Mark and Matthew say they talk about one angel. Luke says there were two angels. Well, is that a discrepancy? 
Is that a fallacy within the scriptures? No, not at all. In my view, it makes the scriptures, it gives it even more integrity. Do you know why? Because Matthew and Luke and Mark and John didn't say, didn't sit down and say, hold on, boys, let's 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 get our facts, let's hire an editor. And let's sync it all up. No, remember the synoptic gospels, the sin, S-Y-N, the same synonym, optic from a different perspective. So why does one gospel say early in the morning but as the sun's rising, the other gospel says while it's dark? Is, is that a discrepancy? No, we don't, we don't know all of the facts. It may, be, it may be that they started before the sunrise and before they got there, the sun was up. Why are there two angels yet only one recorded in some? Yeah, I think the reason why is because in Mark's gospel and Matthew's gospel, only one angel spoke. It's not a fallacy. What it is, it's from a different perspective. To me, it gives even more integrity to the text. And so they go, they're making their way, and they're going to the tomb. These women, these women... Let me ask you a question. Where were the men? Verse number three, as they're going, they're having this conversation and begin to say to one another, who will roll away the stone for us? Well, where are the disciples? Where are the men? You know where they are? They're hiding. They're afraid. And thank God for these women. Amen? They had the audacity to go to the tomb of Jesus when even his followers would not do that. Boy, I tell you, these are the women I would want praying for me. Amen? And they say, who will roll away the stone? Now, let me tell you, I have exceptionally high regard for these women because they took it on, right? When the men wouldn't go, the women did. But let me show you their fault. Let me show you what's wrong in the text. Jesus told all of his followers, I will be put to death, and I will rise. When? In three days. They didn't believe it. They didn't go to the tomb expecting a resurrection. Why would they have purchased all of the spices? Why would their conversation be, who shall roll away the stone for us? They they didn't. They didn't go expecting a miracle. They went expecting the natural. Friends, may I propose to you that we are in the same boat today? I want you to hear my heart today. These women, although they had great affection for Jesus, they also had unbelief. Now say amen if you're with me right now, because I want to teach you something. The enemies of the Lord Jesus Christ remembered the words and the promise of Jesus when his followers didn't. Matthew chapter 27, verses 64 and 65, the chief priests and the rulers went to Pontius Pilate and they said, we need you to put guards at the tomb. Why? Because his followers may steal his body, claim a resurrection, and the second fraud will be worse than the first. The second deception will be worse than the first. We need you to guard it. And the Bible says that not only did he station two guards there, two Roman guards, but what did they do? They sealed the tomb. 
Friends, it is a sad commentary when the enemies of Jesus believe his promise more than his followers. And could that be us today? We are here on Resurrection Sunday. Our affections are for Jesus. Our worship is unto Jesus. But where is our faith? These women went expecting to see a stone, not the risen Lord Jesus Christ. And is that us? We come to church expecting the same old, same old. And never expecting God to do what God promises he will do. Let me tell you what's happening in our church right now. There is an explosion of faith. An explosion. An explosion. Why? It's more than numerical growth. Yes, there's tremendous numerical growth happening right now. Tremendous. But see, that's not the real thing that's going on. It's spiritual growth that's happening. Amen. Our faith is growing. And I believe we are on the cusp of seeing God do unbelievable things. We will highlight it in the article next Sunday that comes out in the Times. April 4th, if I have my date correct, I believe it was April 4th. It may have been April 6th. Sadie and I get a phone call. One of the most precious people in our church. We, we, we love her. And, oh, we love her family. and She's just one of my favorite people on the planet. And we get a phone call that she just got back from her doctor and a visible mass had appeared on the left side of her neck. And her doctor said, I believe it's cancer. They scheduled four biopsies with two pathologists. And we went to pray over her. And I laid my hands on her neck and I could feel, Sadie said she could see it, and I could feel that mass. It was tightening her airways. And we prayed. And let me tell you, You're fasting. You're praying. You're believing. And that mass dissolved. Gone. Completely gone. So much gone that they told her to come in for another evaluation. And guess what? It's gone. Pastor Bill, some of you know, tore his meniscus. Waited from October till January to be seen by an orthopedic surgeon. Walked in and as soon as he sat down in so much pain, walking on a walker, sat down, made him wait that many months and sat down and immediately said, no, we're not willing to do the surgery. Crushed him. What's he going to do? He can't have it repaired. He can't have it operated. What, what, what's, what is he going to do? On February 24th, we laid hands on him. Sadie sat in the floor, and she had her hands on his left knee. And she said she began to feel his knee shaking and trembling. And let me tell you, God repaired that meniscus. Amen? He no longer walks on a walker. Amen? 
do we expect God to move? Or do we look at our marriage and all we see is a stone? Have you signed up for my weekly devotional email? Every Tuesday, I send out a devotion that will help you grow in your faith. Go to my website, awakentograce.com, scroll to the bottom of the page, and when you sign up and submit your email, you'll get a direct message from me every Tuesday. Sign up today at awakentograce.com.